Writing is so important for not just college admission, but college success, that it's something that we should all be focusing a great deal of attention on. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, it's June, summertime, and I think a lot of parents who have their children in high school or are homeschooling them through high school, or maybe they have recent graduates, are looking ahead to college. Undoubtedly. And I think that was probably a question that I got a lot when I was homeschooling my own sons. How how are they going to do in college? Can they even go to college in light of the fact that they were homeschooled? Right. And course, all three of my boys went to college. A couple of them have actual college degrees. It helped that you worked for a university. Well, it is true. It is true. (laughs) And, you know, oftentimes the question is, how many different colleges should I apply for? And the answer is, I guess, as many as you're seriously interested in going Mm -hmm. to. And my boys only applied for one because they were only interested in going to Biola, which is the school that I worked for for well, 10 years, yeah. a decade, yeah. So love that school. Um, actually, when I was all done homeschooling, my boys decided to go back to school myself and got my MBA at Biola. Mm-hmm. Um, a very rigorous program that required a lot of writing. So I was happy to know how to write, thanks to you. So, it, you know, I was just thinking it would probably be a really good idea to get an expert on our show who could maybe help these parents navigate this road to college preparedness and, and college? We we have a very well qualified expert mom here. I think I think so. Yes. Yeah. She's so, literally wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> a big book. A big book. Yeah. So Denise, Hello. welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. It's a delight to be here. And you have two students that you homeschooled who also graduated with advanced degrees. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Right. So I have two children, and we homeschooled all the way from K through 12 and used just a huge spectrum of resources and course venues along the way. And so uh, our daughter is now a pediatrician, and our son, uh, so she graduated from Stanford and then went to medical school. Our son graduated from the University of Southern California as an industrial and systems engineering major, and he is now working in uh, analytics in the tech world. So very proud of what they've been able to accomplish. And just looking back, there's so much, you know, so much to be thankful for and so many things we learned along the way. And it's quite a journey, that's for sure. So if if listeners are interested in having a medical doctor and an engineer in their children, they should buy your book? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> they should, but every child is going to do a different path or something unique to them. But um, yes, the book is 
440 pages packed full of all kinds of ideas, tips, advice, and inspiration. So uh, your daughter is the older one? She is, yes. And and she one day said to you, hey, mom, I think I want to go to Stanford. Is that what happened? It, it, it pretty much is. It pretty and much is, and what was your initial thought there when she said that? Well, initially, I don't think I knew how challenging it would be to get into Stanford. And she was fairly young at the time. She must have been about fifth or sixth grade. Oh. <laughs> and Because we had done a couple little field trips to the campus, and she just loved the look of it. And, um, and you know, and more, not just the look. So we started researching pretty seriously around the middle school years to, all right, what kind of academics would we need to make sure we have, what kind of extracurriculars and leadership. And it wasn't that we were sold out for only going to Stanford and disappointed if not. It wasn't that at all. But in my mind as a homeschooling parent, it was, okay, if she doesn't get in, I just don't want it to be uh, the reason of the homeschooling or something we didn't do that we would easily have done if we had known. So I just wanted to give her a nice, strong, rigorous education. And of course, she applied to plenty of other schools too. But I, I just didn't want homeschooling to be the reason to keep her out. And then after that, it was, all right, whatever is to be, is to be. So Denise, I just want to interject something right here. Your children <laughs> are not children anymore, but they they were being admitted to colleges and universities that during a time that there wasn't as much understanding what it means to be a homeschooled student. And it might have been even more challenging than it was even when my boys were going to school. And, you know, Andrew, as Andrew mentioned, I did work for Biola University. And the reason I was hired by Biola was to recruit homeschoolers to Biola. Ah. It was kind of this wave of wow, they're noticing that these homeschooled kids are sharp, they've got good values, they're testing well, they're successful in college, so let's recruit some more. So your kids, actually, it seems like they were before that wave. What do you think? I feel like my kids were in a fairly good season for homeschooling. The very earlier years, I would say, you know, in the 90s uh, and the very early 2000s was a little more challenging. We were about around in the mid to late 2000s around that time. And so I, I kind of feel like that's when homeschooling sort of began to enter a golden age where colleges started to get it. They started to understand. And um, truly now, I mean, I feel that homeschooling is still in a golden age, except that that everybody, every college is more competitive now. So homeschooling students are competing with each other as well as some pretty top uh, public school students. How helpful was the admissions department of Stanford um, when did you contact them in the process, and how helpful were they in helping you figure out what does everything need to look like to actually make a good application? You know what's funny is I don't recall ever specifically contacting them, <laughs> except except maybe some, some questions during the actual senior year, some random questions here and there. did spend a lot of time on the website, and that spelled out you know how many years of each course would be helpful. We took we probably took a couple of the, the walking tours, you know, campus tours, which had a admissions session. Um, so there was there was that. I didn't really specifically contact them about my particular student per se. Do you think that that is a uh, a danger to look for? 
I'm just thinking homeschool mom, classic homeschool mom, who's basically knocking on the college door, trying to get their student in. (laughs) Kind of at that point, there needs to be a rite of passage. Yes, yes. It has to be, you know, there has to be a point where the student starts doing, A, a lot of the research on the colleges they're interested in, alongside the parent, you know, website. You really need to scour those websites. Many of them have a page for homeschooled students, and that's where you need to focus on to see if there's anything you don't understand, anything that doesn't make sense. Inquiries can certainly come from the parents, but as the senior year goes on, uh, more of it should be student-led. And I also just encourage people to start, um, I'll just say casually researching colleges early on, 9th, 10th, 11th grade, on, on the website or visiting local colleges that are not difficult to get to. Go to the the uh, tours, go to the uh, the admissions office uh, sessions that they hold for prospective students, and you'll gain a lot of information through that. And then you can just keep a list of the specific questions that you have that just simply are not addressed. You don't want to ask them things they already have on their website that makes you look like you have not done your research. Well, I guess maybe you could just launch in uh, and tell us what are some of your best pieces of advice for families. I I was thinking most high school students have access to an academic guidance counselor, Mm -hmm. right, at a high school. Mm -hmm. So they would maybe meet with someone who's interfaced a lot with the colleges and universities, et cetera, help them navigate, get that transcript looking good. Um, A homeschool kid doesn't really have that same resource. So, you know, mom or dad kind of has to be the guidance mm-hmm, counselor definitely. to some degree. So if if you were going to say, okay, mom out there with a 13-year-old kid who's thinking about, okay, what are the next four or five years going to look like? What would be your, your top bits of advice for them? So I would say you don't have to be obsessive about it, but you should actually start doing some good planning and some good record keeping early on, like from ninth grade on. Even just drafting a transcript. Transcript sounds like a scary word. It's not really that hard. It's just a list of courses, credits, grades, and then you can put it into a nice form later. And there are transcript services. Um, Lee Bins, uh, homeschool, uh, former homeschool mom, has a um, transcript service. There's templates on various websites. Uh, I give out my template right and left. It's not very fancy, but So the transcript, and then also a lot of people don't realize this, but you should be keeping course descriptions from ninth grade on, and also from high school level courses that were taken in middle school, because no one's ever specifically going to ask it on a college application. You will not necessarily see that, but if you've got a course description document with a paragraph or two from each course throughout the high school year, and you know the list of resources and textbooks, And then you present that, uploading it into the common application site or having it standing by for something like a UC where you you don't send a lot with the original application. It makes you look that much more professional and well-prepared as a homeschooling family. So it's not just that you're throwing courses together right and left, but that you put some thought into it and that you have something to present to them. They may only skim it. They may only glance at it, or they may look at a particular subject if they don't quite understand your course title and what it entailed, but that's going to give um, a lot more validity and credibility to what you did as a homeschool family. So that would be one piece of advice I would give is 
record keeping and just looking ahead proactively, like how many years for the favored colleges that the student is interested in, how many years of foreign language, how many years of math, lab science, etc. So I have a funny story to tell about my son, my oldest son. He was planning to be a business major, which is a Bachelor of Science. And in a Bachelor of Science, they do not have to take foreign language <laughs> as a part of their graduation requirements. Oh. In college. Oh, in college. In okay. college, right. But then he actually switched to a Bachelor of Arts degree, and they do require a year of foreign language, uh-huh. unless you have taken four years in high school. And he took four years of Latin in high school. <laughs> they, yay, there you go. Fought me tooth and nail and thanked <laughs> me later for that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. I love that. One of the uh, points of interest to many of our listeners, I think, would be the role of writing. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of buzz uh, since the SAT came out with their redesigned test specifications. They changed the entire nature of the, Mm -hmm. quote, optional essay, and then the ACT followed suit. However, it appears that over the last few years, uh, fewer and fewer schools have been requesting or requiring that essay portion of those standardized achievement tests. Mm-hmm. Is is that true in your experience? And, and if so, how are the colleges and universities judging the writing and communication skills of their potential matriculants? Mm-hmm. Great question. Great question. Well, as we know, the SAT and ACT are in a great state of flux right now with test optional popping up here and there. And as you mentioned, with the essay already having been put on the back burner at a lot of colleges. Uh, I would say one thing for homeschoolers is generally when requirements get dropped, whether it's just for the essay portion or for the whole test itself, if something is optional or just recommended, for homeschoolers, it's safer to read, uh, you had better do it, um, because it's going to give the college a richer picture of the student's background. So I, my, I advise students to go ahead and take the, the SAT or the ACT, some students take both, and to take that writing portion, even if it's optional, because you never know, you might fall in love with a college that does require it, and you would be sort of kicking yourself if you had not taken it. And uh, besides, usually for homeschoolers, there are more requirements rather than fewer when colleges look at the overall picture. So homeschoolers are generally the last population to get these requirements dropped in reality. Uh, Besides that, I feel that the rhetorical analysis task, especially for the SAT, is actually kind of an interesting one and a useful one that the student will probably see over and over again in literature classes as well. And then in addition to preparing and taking the essay portions of those tests, um, what other writing are they hoping to see? Of course, there's the admission essay, or more than one in some cases. Do they want to see a portfolio of recent papers from senior year, or how do they expect students Mm -hmm. to present themselves in terms of kind of proving their writing and communication skills? Yeah, Yeah, um, I actually have not encountered too many colleges that want a writing sample. I believe I've encountered uh, some students applying to some Christian colleges 
that do want a writing sample of a paper that they've done, maybe a research paper or some other paper. But by and large, that's not a very common requirement, even from homeschoolers. You should always have probably have something standing by in case they do request a writing sample. But I would say that most colleges rely on the application essay and taking a look at the rigor of your English classes. And again, here's where a course description for your English classes would be helpful because if it shows how many essays you did during the, the year or what types of essays, uh, how you were evaluated, that's going to help a lot. And I, I do want to underscore just what you've been saying, Andrew, is writing is so important for not just college admission, but college success, that it's something that we should all be focusing a great deal of attention on during high school and certainly not uh, skimming or skipping out or minimizing it. That would be actually one of my top tips for preparing for college is some very solid writing practice in varied types of writing, not just uh not just expository, but persuasive and narrative, rhetorical analysis, research papers, and I could go on and on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how did your kids do in their college papers? I know that you used some IEW materials. I assume that that gave them a bit of a leg up. Speaking as a chief marketing officer, of course, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> it it did. It did. Because, you know, the materials that you've put together over the years have made a sort of a fuzzy task a lot more, I don't want to say objective, but it's you can break it down into pieces and evaluate how the student is doing on the different pieces. So gives you a framework for, well, what am I going to write about? You know, the keyword outlines, even from such a young age. And then the style that gets overlaid onto it with sentence openers. And I was, I have to just say, I was so gratified with both of my students when I saw them just naturally starting to use sentence openers in a variety manner in their essays, that it just sort of became a, a part of their writing, uh, you know, instinctively from then on. And um, that's actually one of the very first things I, t- I So I tutor public school students in writing and I teach homeschooled students. I've been doing this for 14 years in writing and also biology. And one of the very first things I teach the, the newer writers is, okay, let me teach you the sentence openers and Let's keep to a 50-50 ratio, try for a 50-50 ratio of the variety ones compared to subject-verb, and it's going to be instant style in your writing. Kind of a little bit like what you do in the high school essay intensive seminar. Yeah, and I used to do a talk called Instant Improvement in Writing, Mm -hmm. um, which focused exactly on that Mm -hmm. and the topical insurance. You know, uh, Denise, I have heard many young to mid-teenage kids, most often boys, maybe 14, 15, and they will say something like, well, you know, I'm going to go into engineering or I'm going to go into the military or I'm going to do some technical thing. I want to get into computers. So why do I need writing? (laughs) Uh, How would you respond to that question? Everybody needs writing. If you want to write a business letter, if you want to write a technical manual, if you want to write instructions, you really have to be a clear communicator because people get very frustrated if instructions are not clear or letters have misspellings in them. We received a, a letter from um, the community college admissions office one time just simply saying we had put the, the application in too soon. They were only processing summer and we were go, going for fall. So they, they wrote back and they said, thank you for your application. Okay, period. However, period. 
due to the fact <laughs> that we are doing summer. And so I always use that. I think about this example. Any, you know, it makes your organization look bad if you are not writing clearly. And, you know, it's important. It's very important. It would seem especially bad if you're an academic institution and uh, not following norms there. Definitely. <laughs> So one of the things I have uh, come across with high school students, particularly those who are on the more ambitious side, is they feel it's easy to get overwhelmed, overloaded. Ah, I've, just, yes. I've got all these classes and I've got to do all this stuff and I, I hate life for a mm. while here because I'm just tired all the time. Is, is there a middle ground? Is there some wisdom you could share? Like, how do you be academically rigorous to the point that would prepare you, say, for a top-tier university, but at the same time, have a life? Yes, yes. So definitely there's going to be moments. I mean, it's inevitable. There's going to be some times that are really, really tough to get through, and it's usually junior year. Uh, there's a lot on your plate. Maybe you've got several AP classes or some community college classes. And yet I would say you should try to be realistic going into each school year as far as what is going to make sense for this year. But also I think students should do a couple things. One is you really want to keep that love of learning. I wrote this on my notes uh, the other day and I wrote LOL. So I think that's going to be my new LOL. LOL is oh, love I of love learning. <laughs> I was just abbreviating it. And then, and then I wrote down in a variety of venues. So I wrote VOV. So if you can do LOL with VOV, a variety <laughs> nice. of venues, because it can, it sort of mixes it up when you've got some group classes with other homeschoolers and you've got a couple things at home. You've maybe got a community college class and an online class. It might feel a little chaotic, actually, but really it it brings more spark and stimulation to be around different groups of people and learning from different groups of people. So try using a variety of venues. And then the other thing, I'm very much a fan of finding those extracurriculars and leadership activities that you really, really love to do. Don't do something just because it's going to pad your resume, but find something. uh, And yes, you do need good, strong leadership for some of these top universities, but it should always be something that you would have done anyway because you love it so much. So, you know, maybe you take an area you already enjoy, uh, writing or science or robotics, and then you keep adding more, I guess, layers to it. You teach it to younger students. You maybe get a part-time job or start a small business in it. You take more advanced classes in it. You create something, you know, a website or a piece of writing or a piece of art. Uh, you enter competitions. So with my daughter, it was science. With my son, it was tech. But I've seen students who are passionate about writing, passionate about music, and they really kind of put their their feelers out everywhere and kind of layer onto that passion. And that's going to bring you joy because it's something you love anyway. You will gain some energy from that. In fact, I mean, I've become, I've become more and more convinced because I've worked with um, other people's students for 14 years, and I've become just more and more convinced that homeschoolers are truly uniquely positioned to prepare not only academically for college because they've got that endless spectrum of courses, non-traditional and traditional, but also to leverage that flexible schedule 
and really go after some what I would call capstone achievements or accomplishments. And those are what's going to bring a deep sense of satisfaction, not just to the student, but to the parent as well. So those capstone accomplishments, what would you love to do by the end of high school? And how are you going to go after it? Break it down into smaller goals and it just might happen. What I love about that, Denise, is it sounds like that's a conversation that you have with your student so that they kind of just have a dream list of what they what project they could work on that's not, oh, I don't know. You just kind of start tapping into their passions and then they can get excited about it. And then, then there's not a whole lot for you to do as a teacher, as a parent teacher, other than just to facilitate. Win- Put wind in their sails, yeah. Yeah, Probably that's exactly give them right. a budget. That's, uh, yeah, a little bit of a budget. That's exactly right. Before we run out of time, I would like you to address AP and CLEP mm-hmm. because I get a lot of people ask me about this. I don't really know. I have heard some people say, well, CLEP isn't really going to get you any benefit if you go to a school that doesn't acknowledge the CLEP credits. Mm-hmm. You know, the AP is much, much better. But then other people say, you know, well, I did, you know, almost a whole year of CLEP tests and saved myself you mm-hmm. know, a year mm-hmm. of tuition. Do you have any comment or advice regarding uh, navigating those tests? Yeah, we didn't do any CLEP, um, but we certainly did APs and some community college AP will get you more mileage in the more selective colleges, and CLEP will get you mileage in, I'd say, uh, many of the state universities and some other colleges as well, not just state universities. You have to know the policies that the college gives credit for, so kind of have to do your homework there. But let's just take CLEP first. Uh, If the student is motivated to CLEP some courses, you can take you know, put them on your usual high school transcript because the student's studying it anyway, take the CLEP exam at the end, and now you've got kind of the whole package where it's on their transcript and they've got a score for colleges that will take it. And yes, that can um, get some lower division courses out of the way. You can also do the same thing with doing some community college classes. And then, of course, the more, I don't know, I'll say intense way to do it is with AP. Um, There's lots of online providers. One of my favorites is Pennsylvania Homeschoolers, and there are many, many others. But uh, online, if there is no... We're fortunate enough here in San Jose to have have an academy nearby that does offer quite a spectrum of AP courses live, but, you know, not everybody has that. So navigating through finding... AP classes online, maybe checking the reviews to see which teachers people like the best. Uh, I've had many students work their way through quite a few APs that way by online. I um, have heard that recently the College Board has taken a little bit more aggressive position on their what you might call progressive views particularly in the area of U.S. history, that the AP test has been rewritten. And of course, you know, Pearson has to publish a textbook that matches that and that it's kind of skewed and and not well balanced in terms of a good foundation in U.S. history. Have you heard that or noticed that or had anyone else say that? I have heard that. And I've seen a lot of articles online. I haven't read them all, but I look at RSS feeds and I saw it lighting up with headlines a couple years ago, I guess it was. 
Yes, so it it went to more of a principle concept approach rather than tons and tons of facts and small things to memorize. And so it it did go um, a little more progressive. What I would say is for families uh, that still want to take AP U.S. history is that's the beauty of doing homeschooling. And you can talk about some of these issues and talk about, all right, which of these do we agree with? Which of these do we not agree with? Which of these are addressing a problem that needs to be solved in society and what solutions are there. So I would say to use it as talking points with your student. Um, likewise, if a student is taking, um, say, an English class at the community college, and if some of the reading material is not uh, what you would have chosen, um, at least they're under your roof and you can have some conversations with that as needed. Yeah, and I guess uh, the last question I had um, you had one of your top 10 tips was, you know, keep your faith and family philosophy central. And I think um, that is something many families are very acutely aware of as we read more and more about universities becoming indoctrination centers uh, in many ways, if you will. Did your kids face any, like, serious challenges, you know, in the classroom or with particular professors uh, in terms of their, you know, religious, moral, political beliefs or standards? No, actually, I don't think they did. You hear about that here and there, but I feel that, that it's less common than one might think, or at least maybe I haven't heard a lot of students reporting back. I have taught quite a few students since my my own students graduated. I think I calculated recently that I've probably taught about a thousand homeschooled students since then. <laughs> And and I've graded Andrew. I've graded probably more than ten thousand essays in oh, my time. Well, it's a special <laughs> place in heaven for you because I think so. that's uh, that sounds as close to ultimate pain as I can think of. But, but I think yeah, keeping you know, not all families are uh, religious or Christian families, but even for those who are not, a family foundation, a family philosophy, family concepts that you want to pay forward into the world are, are something that you want to develop during the years at home. And then these will, will help your student to have a you know springboard um, as they go off into their, their futures. And then they can, they can take those, those values and, and, you know, they're going to sift through them. They're going to change them up a bit perhaps, but if you've given the foundation uh, that's, that's a great gift for any student. So Denise, you mentioned several websites that, well, or at least you alluded to them, that we will include in our show notes, including reference to Lee Bins, who's a great friend of ours here at IEW. But we have not at all heard about your website and your book. So can you just speak a little bit more to that? How can people get a hold of you? Sure. So my book is called Homeschooled and Headed for College. It's got a subtitle, Your Roadmap for a Successful Journey. My website is homeschoolroadmap.com. It's all one word there, homeschoolroadmap.com. And it's also available on Amazon. Uh, Be sure to get the second edition. I wrote it back in 2009, and I did a major revision last year. Uh, There are a few uh, used copies being sold online of the first edition, but you want to make sure to get the second edition. So it's the book that I felt I couldn't find anywhere. I couldn't find college prep for homeschoolers, one-stop shopping, all-in-one volume. So my daughter and I initiated it, and then she kind of turned it over to me when she got real busy. That was probably junior year, and I finished it up. But it's it's the book I would have wanted to have available for us when we were researching. 
And is there a section in that book on scholarships? There are two chapters on financial aid. Nice. And yes, so, you know, how to apply for financial aid, state, federal, institution-based, and then another chapter on finding private scholarships. And I would mention, you know, fastweb.com is one that Mm -hmm. a lot of people go to. I, um, when I worked for Biola, would occasionally do workshops on financial aid and scholarships and basically how do you fund a private Christian school education. And there were basically two schools of thought, either start early and invest when your child is very young or be very poor so that you can (laughs) qualify for grants and scholarships. (laughs) Uh, A lot of parents say, and usually this is around senior year, parents will say to the students, okay, it's your job to find financial aid or to find scholarships. And that's, you know, that's a okay sentiment. But I think sometimes parents don't realize how much work it would be to apply for multiple, multiple scholarships and all the essays you have to write and all the applications you have to fill out. And sometimes projects and community service accomplishments that go into that as well. So mm-hmm. it's it's a team effort. It's the whole family effort. Students can certainly do some of it, but they they have to do their schoolwork and their applications too. So it's it's quite a bit. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Denise, and just a delightful time spending here with you about talking about something that seems overwhelming, a little bit arduous, but I think with your book and with some of the advice you gave today makes this journey a little bit more, at least the pathway a little more clear. I hope so. That's That was my goal in writing the book, and that's that's what I try to communicate with all the people I work with. That's for sure. So when our listeners get your book, and Andrew, you have a copy of it, they can go through and make sure that you don't have too many sentence openers that are the same. <laughs> <in> the same <laughs> Absolutely. I think I've proofread that thing four times through, so hopefully it's, hopefully it's okay. <laughs> well, God bless you and your work, and thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been absolutely delightful just to, uh, I mean, I've been binge listening for a while, so I already felt like Julie was a good friend. <laughs> and uh, Andrew, just uh, to, to speak to you in the first time in forever, I think it was back in 96 when I first met you. So it's been a delight. Well, if it's possible to ever get back to California, maybe ah. we'll bump into each other next year or the year after. So. That would be great. That would be great. Thank you, Denise. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>